episode 5 of the Doom is Dead podcast. Our featured guest today is one of my favorite people over the years, Dr. Sean, best known as the lead programmer of Otomex. Sean has worked tirelessly over the past decade to bring Otomex to the forefront of the competitive Doom scene. Not only is he an accomplished coder, but he's also one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. We were thrilled to talk with him about all things Doom, all things Otomex, and all things Sean. As always, Doom is Dead is sponsored by In the Keep at inthekeep.com and the Drowned God Catholic. So, someone that is here joining us today thought it would be a great idea to record this at 7 in the morning. So, because of that, you're going to have to listen to its story time. Okay? Um, and hey, you know, maybe if this story is a hit, I'll do a spinoff podcast. I'll call it uh, I'll call it The Mood is Dead. No question mark. Um, ha, I'll make myself laugh. So anyway, I think it was 2013, something like that. Um, we were talking uh, in the International Doom League board channel. And of course, you know, you're supposed to be discussing league topics, um, things that are going on in the Doom community. And what were we discussing? We were discussing food. And uh, it it came out that I was working maybe 10 to 15 minutes away from where Sean's living or was living at the time. And he said, oh, have you ever heard of this store? Uh, it's like a Costco without a membership. I said, no, I've, I have no idea. He said, well, you know, if you want to go, I can just swing by your work and pick you up. So that's what he did. On my lunch break, he came by and we went to the store and uh, I walked in and it was like a kid in fucking Disneyland. It's uh you know, it's a store that sells stuff in bulk, pretty much mostly to restaurants, but ever since that day, um, I go shopping there just for my regular groceries. And it was like the greatest revelation. It's all really affordable. And uh so I just have this image in my head of of Sh- they were playing some pop song or something, and Sean was just dancing down the aisle on his own. Uh it's pretty funny. So I don't know, that image to me ever since that moment. <clears throat> he's always been like the easy, very easygoing, um, super helpful, super friendly. If anyone has an issue with Otomex, he's always willing to help. He's not, he doesn't think of himself as above anyone. The perfect example of what you'd want in a lead programmer. So for that and so many reasons, I'm glad that he's joined us. Please welcome Dr. Sean. Hey, Sean. Hey, thanks, gentlemen. Yeah, there's, there's one thing about me and that's a complete lack of shame. The other is uh, definitely a love of 10 pounds pastrami for $18. You, you, you just can't beat that. No, I mean, I I can't even believe, like, I'm t- telling you, like, 30 burgers for 25 bucks. Uh, <laughs> I'm shilling for a corporation now. but So that was, like, that was very shortly after you, you kind of just appeared in the Doom community. I mean, you know, for years, Odomex had, had struggled to um, make a footprint comparison to Zdaemon and Zandronum and uh, as far as I know you know you just kind of showed up out of nowhere and started submitting code and fixing bugs and you just you know you became a superstar like overnight so I don't know I, I, I assume that you have some history with with Doom you know earlier in your life but why don't you tell us a little bit about like maybe your gaming history and how you first discovered Doom uh, and then that leads into when you just appeared as the savior for Otomex. 
<laughs> sure. Uh, well, how did I get into Doom? I got into Doom because I was uh, super into Wolfenstein 3D. When that came out, uh, Shareware, you know, I had the uh, uh, registered version as well. And got into making my own maps, got into uh, modifying the sprites, things like that. So I was definitely tuned in uh, and awaiting Doom. Uh, I knew it was coming. Yeah, it was a, a big computer upgrade to get four megabytes of RAM in your computer at that point on a, uh, a 386. So, yeah, that was uh, pinching some pennies there to save up, to get that RAM so that uh, when that shareware Doom came out, uh, you know, I could drop it in. And uh, it, it was absolutely mind-blowing when that came out. Um, so I, I guess I would have been maybe 13 years old, uh, uh, middle school era. Um, and so that's what I got into with Doom. Um, I tried some mapping around that time. Really didn't get much into multiplayer because it was uh, multiplayer over modem and the old uh, 2400 baud modem that I had just couldn't keep up. I played uh, one or two games of multiplayer when I finally got a, a 9600 baud modem and uh, so forth. But by that time, uh, Quake had come out. So I got more into that and kind of left Doom, uh, Doom alone is- for a while. And this is still like the payphone era. That that just got really expensive if you play for too long. Oh, absolutely. We're we're talking about that. You play an hour game, and it's you know going to cost you uh, you know thirty U.S. dollars or something at the time. Yeah. So you're definitely paying for uh, long distance, like almost across town at that time. Yeah, I, re- uh, I remember actually playing like that in like 1994, and of course my parents behind me were like. Are you are you already wrapping up? Are you done? Are you done? Just counting the seconds on the phone. <laughs> oh yeah, well that and uh, if you didn't have that second phone line too, nobody could get a get a oh, call yeah. in. Or in the middle of your death match, uh, somebody does call in and it drops you uh, from from doom. Yeah, that was uh, that was terrible. Uh, but through through high school years, I uh, played some Quake and then just kind of generally forgot about gaming as a whole, um, and that was all through college, uh, you know, and, and in my twenties, uh, then I was working a dead end job, uh, with, a, a couple of, uh, fun younger guys, uh, that also played doom when, you know, they were five or six, uh, you know, a little bit younger, but, uh, still remember playing it. Okay. So fast forward, uh, it's 2012 ish and I'm kind of working a dead end job. Uh, and I find out, uh, just from chatting with, uh, the people I'm working with that, you know, when they were younger, they played some Doom. Uh, they remember themselves as being, you know, much better than they probably were. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, we got into some uh, some bragging and uh, enough of that. And you know, you gotta you gotta actually put your money where your mouth is. So I decided to find out uh, what sort of uh, multiplayer Doom setup we could get for our office LAN. I I've always been a big uh, Linux proponent, uh, and really that. When I looked for multiplayer clients, Odomex was the only one that fit that bill, where I could run a server with both Windows and uh, Linux-based clients in our office. So I installed Odomex, uh, fired it up, and we just we just went batshit crazy, uh, playing probably three to five hours every day uh, for you know two months, uh, just in our own little world, and. You know, uh, eventually I started to create some maps for our group. Uh, that eventually turned into the staff1.wad file. 
But these maps were really just designed for our particular play style. Some of the uh, guys I played with really were adamant that spawn frags were, you know, the the bane of uh, the civilized world. So that's why you'll see in that map set some kind of protected spawn areas on maps, uh, you know, uh, two, three, and four, just to to give the guys a little time to get their uh, shotguns up and uh, things like that. So one thing that we found was really, really cool with Odomex was the WAD downloading feature. It made uh, made building you know new maps iteratively, uh, and I, I we're talking I would uh, do you know eight revisions of a map in a day, and we'd be playing you know a new revision every fifteen minutes or something like that. So getting everybody to uh, download uh, via the Odomex server was really you know a key feature, and uh, eventually we opened up uh, to broadcast uh, our server on. The Odomex master server. Soon after, uh, you know, the riffraff uh, started uh, filtering <laughs> in there, like uh, Ralphus and uh, uh, Hex and so forth, and some of the other, uh, you know, strong Odomex community members. And, uh, you know, they, they really liked uh, the maps that uh, we were playing with, and they liked playing with my group. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, camaraderie in that. Uh, and then from there, you know, I, I found uh, the Odomex team on IRC and reached out to them. Uh, they had some bugs that needed to be fixed. So I took a look at that. And, you know, fixing about three or four bugs at that point made me the lead developer. <laughs> so uh, it kind of snowballed from there. I'd like to ask, like, uh, you're talking about uh, mapping for your specific closed group uh, of friends. Mm -hmm. Uh so how did you actually map that? Have you been looking at some other maps out there that you've been trying at, like, the, we are not happy with these maps, so you tried your own? Or were you mapping sort of like your own organic style that would fit just your group and you had no, not much experience with the outside world maps? Uh, that's a great question. So uh, back when I first got into Doom, uh, you know, you could watch your vanilla uh, LMP demos, and that was really my only exposure to deathmatch. So, uh, whichever uh, wads I could find that had some some real good uh, multiplayer demos, you know, those stuck in the back of my mind as uh, great wads from that era. So, for me, I really have a soft spot for the Danzig one and two series. And so, uh, when I started playing Odomex with my work. Uh, crew we tried some of those maps but they were a little too tight you know we were we were just sloppy players uh all over the place you know you have a 96 unit wide wall or a wide hallway and that's way too narrow for uh you know how unskilled we were um mm -hmm. so i made kind of a uh a dumbed down version of some maps with some nice wide hallways but multiple ways in and out of a, a general area but i would say I, I just kind of made a dumbed down version of what I liked about that Danzig one and two series. Yeah, those those sort of uh, mazy uh, factories or what, whatever you would call that style. Yeah, uh, especially I would say my favorite of the group is uh, Danzig uh, one map eleven, which is also uh, Dwango five map two. Mm -hmm. Which yeah, is so, so really you'll see some inspiration there in my maps. Now, are these maps that you made are are they? early iterations of what staff became or is it actually yeah. the same maps? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, the same maps. Uh, I did a uh, hundred uh, 
revisions of it. Uh, in fact, I just logged in my Dropbox the other day and uh, could actually go back and look at uh, you know revision number seventy and and compare how different mm-hmm. things were. So it was it was an interesting trip uh, to see you know how you know where where various landmarks in some of those maps uh, and ended so- up. Right. When you opened to the outside world, so to say, and you became a part of UD, that probably meant uh, that your like taste or, or your uh, style had to start skewing towards where the, the community was. So is, is this something you can actually see in those uh, later revisions that you would like, cater more to where the, the community average was, so to speak? I would say map wise, no. Map wise, I've as far as layouts, I've kind of just done what felt right uh, for me and my group. And uh, if if my buddies were getting hung up on a piece of the map or they thought uh, one area was a little too spammy, you know, we'd uh, we'd go in and I'd tweak it. Uh, but I, I didn't tweak things based really on the larger community. I wanted to be really accessible. My later maps, I did add more detail. Uh, more variety of textures, things like that, uh, which definitely was uh, inspired by, you know, sticking my head out a little bit and seeing what more modern mapping looked like. So the the outside artist sp- uh, spoiled just a little. <laughs> just a little, yeah. It's it's not where I was entirely uh, a tribe, uh, a lost tribe in the Amazon. Let's say uh, I got a little bit of exposure to an explorer, and uh, you know, he gave me the clap. The civilized caveman. <laughs> <laughs> That's going on my business card. All right. So, so then you uh, became uh, the lead developer of Odemex just in time for some dramatic changes in IDL, which was the prominent uh, CTF league and the biggest competition in Doom at the time. Basically, this is around 2013, right? Mm-hmm. And at this point, there were like IDL was uh, going through some radical changes because uh, up to that point, we were using uh, just the old version of the demon, which was uh, 1.08. And we used that for, for years at that point, and it became growingly, well, ancient. And uh, but the problem with uh, the new the demon version 1.09 and so uh, so forth from that point was that first we would have to kind of like either use their master or we would have to run our own servers. But we didn't like the net code that much. I think later on they even like uh, acknowledged some of the issues, so they just. Uh, disabled uh, demo recording altogether for over a year. That was crazy. So we had to look elsewhere where to even play uh, our CTF games. And Zendronum at that time was a hot mess. So basically, when you started uh, messing with with Odemax, we definitely were looking at that from moment one with great hopes and expectations. So Can you like kind of clue us in uh, how that went? Sure, I think uh, I think yeah, we just got a lot of momentum behind us with each release. Um, we were we were putting out a release every you know month or two. Um, you know, some of them were minor point releases, but each one 
really improve the uh, the user experience in Otomex, as well as uh, you know fixing long running bugs or bringing in new features from uh, Zdoom 1.23 B33, I think. Uh, and so each each time we uh, brought in some uh, of the those features from Zdoom, uh, they were they were really at the uh, the request of some of those uh, CTF players, and I think uh, that was something that was in the back of Ralph's mind, uh, and that's why he made some of those requests. You know, unbeknownst to me, I, I wasn't really aware that uh, that league was uh, eyeballing my work uh, for you know, a potential move at that point. Mm. Uh, but I, I think eventually we got to the point where it was a rainy uh, Saturday. I had nothing to do and I just started uh, experimenting. And I sent uh, the uh, Odomex team a screenshot of what I was working on. And it was uh, Ralph's Magical uh, Ice Forts. And it uh, at that time, Odomex did not have any slopes at all, so it was a right. screenshot. Can you, can you tell us why there was actually a reason for that? At sure, that particular sure. Point. So Vanilla Doom uh, did not have uh, sloped floors or ceilings at all. Uh, everything was uh, completely flat, uh, and so probably back in nineteen ninety eight or so, uh, Randy added slopes to uh, the ZDoom 1.23 client. Odomex is based on ZDoom 1.22. And the reason that it is based on 1.22 instead of 1.23 like uh, ZDemon is that uh, that was the last release that could be uh, GPL license compatible. And that was very important to the team. That was because Uh, of the Raven license, right? Uh, Basically... Uh, uh, a couple of things. Yeah, so so you're right. Uh, the Heretic and Hexen code was initially not released under a GPL compatible license. That so, happened only in like 2016, 17, something like that. I think it was uh, re released. It, it was it was uh, relicensed uh, certainly around the time that uh, uh, I was involved with Otomex. So I think it was maybe 2010 or 11. Uh, just prior to my joining the team. Oh. Um, but previously, the Odomex development team had to go through the ZDoom 122 source code and remove all of the Heretic and Hexen code. And then I added a lot of that back to be uh, ZDoom compatible um, and really to offer parity in terms of physics with uh, ZDoom uh, and the ZDoom 1.23. The, uh, the other problem was that slopes themselves were taken ex- from build. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so build uh, is the engine for Duke Nukem 3D, and it was uh, made open sourced, but it has a very particular license, and that license is not at all GPL compatible. So we could not borrow any code from build or from any other software uh, that uh, used build code. And by yeah. that I mean we we couldn't get code that was originated in build from another uh, software. Basically the idea was that build was build code was released uh, with a, like educational purposes only license. So it couldn't be technically used for any commercial purposes. And I think that was also later 
at the request of some uh, GZ Doom developers, changed. They directly uh, contacted Ken Silverman for like uh, an exception or something. But yeah, back then it was uh, something that uh, the Odomex developers made a huge deal of. Yeah, yeah, it definitely uh, was one of the uh, the the center pillars, let's say, of uh, how we develop Odomex. Is that uh, everything we did needed to be GPL uh, version two compatible? The uh, license so with- purists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this the Doom community. You have a purist for uh, for every niche. You know, license. Uh, Vanilla uh, settings, uh, modern settings. It, we're we're just a, a tunnel-minded group of people. Uh, so, with regards to uh, the slopes, uh, because Odomex uh, could not use the slope code from uh, ZDoom one point three three for years, Odomex did not have any slopes. So, uh, one one rainy Saturday, I was just tinkering around with. Uh, some of the physics and figured out how to implement the physics of a sloped plane um, on uh, the uh, Ralph's Magical Ice Forts map. So I sent a screenshot of uh, just uh, a player standing on uh, that ramp. Really, he's uh, he's not standing on top of anything. The ramp's invisible because I had not worked on the renderer portion. But that was enough to uh, really say, okay, this is an undertaking I can actually do as far as implementing uh, the slopes into Odomex, because uh, I, I end up with a absolutely massive branch. It's something where I just developed it in secret because we wanted to make it kind of a big uh, reveal uh, for the community. So it ended up being, uh, you know, touching almost every file uh, in the Odomex source code, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of change. But it, it ended up uh, definitely being... Being worth it because it was the final uh, push that gave us uh, all the m- momentum that we had to uh, get a lot more support from the community. And I, I particularly remember the the big reveal, uh, which was the YouTube video with with the Wagnerian music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that was really a big deal back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Ralph did that all uh, overnight one night, uh, but. Yeah, it was definitely a, a nice uh, moment, uh, reminiscent of 2001 Space Odyssey. Uh, he did some really nice uh, videos previewing our uh, 0.6 release, uh, which is uh, where we added that sloping uh, code. Right. So, so with this uh, out of the door, we the the IDL board we decided that we would run a season of uh, IDL on Odomex. Uh, well, I think there's a little backstory to that as well, um, because for people that don't know, Ralphus ran the IDL for the first nine seasons, and then uh, I took over for the tenth season. And uh, I think it was always sort of rattling in his head to eventually, or he had, you know, he had bl- plans to move the IDL to Odomex when it was playable enough for him to be able to convince the player base. So. When all this stuff started happening, you know, that that screenshot that you're talking about, uh, he sent that to me and it was like, you know, oh, this is <laughs> it was like some the biggest thing that had happened in the Doom community in a long time for us. And so it was really cool to see that that was happening. And, you know, we make it sound so easy 
I don't think it was easy to make the transition. It certainly wasn't easy for you to, you know, I- implement slopes itself, but also just the the huge community shift that was behind moving from something like Zdaemon, which had been established um, with a lot of these players for almost ten years, if not more, um, to just make that shift almost, you know, within a six six month to one year period was super. It was it was just huge, and it was community. It was almost community shattering. Like some people couldn't um, they couldn't grasp it, but uh, I think it was necessary. And I think I think I look back on the decision to move the league over there, and I still think it's necessary. It was just a time where we needed a change, and uh, it was so it was almost it was almost kismet that you that you came on when you did. So. I don't know. I I just I felt like pointing out that you know it sounds all it sounds like all you know fun and games, but I think there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that maybe people did not see and they weren't aware of. You kind of waded your way through that like uh, a community veteran, <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> someone that had only been around for a short period of time. Yeah, yeah I got I got known the community very quickly. Let's say, uh, but it's also like uh, you just became the the right man at the right time in the right place because yeah as i was saying the the, the old the demon uh client was basically at the the end of its lifetime we really couldn't use it anymore our options uh in the other ports were limited so this was exactly at the right time so so that was uh we changed uh, over to Odomex and we played the season. And then there was like a, a lot of friction during the transition period because things weren't exactly completely smooth. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, there was uh, some behind the scenes uh, friction. There was some you know, friction uh, that was out in the open. Um, from my perspective, I think the hardest part was that I became much more in a support role uh, for the port as well. Uh, I was uh, supporting users, you know, uh, four hours out of every day. And that kind of took away from uh, the time that I could be developing new features uh, and so forth. Uh, you know, I ended up meeting some really, really genuinely great people in that community. And then there's some people that, uh, you know, like every other uh, gaming community, yeah, they're they're just there to cause some uh, shit storms. So you ba- you basically was uh, almost like a point man uh, and the lead dev. So not in the way the other ports are sort of structured, where the main dev uh, almost summons themselves away from the community and someone else does all the talking. So was that draining? Oh, it was absolutely draining. Um, yeah, we're we're talking uh, twelve plus hours a day uh, focused on uh, Odomex, uh one way or Jeez. another. Plus, I think I was uh, probably uh, I I don't know if I played in the IDL that season. It may have been the next one, but you know I was very active with playing as well because if I feel why develop for something that you are not going to actively play. Mm-hmm. If I can speak for myself, like the main worry wasn't actually the, the feature set back then, but uh, a different uh, feature that you implemented back then, and there was a new netcode. 
the well, that's another not just one feature. That's that's uh, probably two dozen features. Right. So uh, I asked uh, you to prepare for this a little bit. Can you explain how the hell even uh, like the netcode in the client-server structure architecture works? Sure. Uh, let's uh, just kind of uh, go through some some history. Okay. I'll uh, start with uh, just vanilla Doom. Uh, that's a peer-to-peer uh, lockstep networking uh, synchronization method. What that means is that uh, there is no client and server. Uh, each client is considered the master. So everyone maintains the same state and the state of the game uh, does not proceed until everyone uh, has everyone else's input and has processed that. Uh, okay. So it's fantastic uh, if you have uh, a very low latency LAN that you're playing with, um, but it simply doesn't work over the uh, the internet where if you need to move forward in the game, um, but you're still waiting on a packet from uh, a player, you know, across the country from you. Right. Yeah, and that was, there was work. always perfect syn- synchronization because everything was deterministic and you just got like an, a command that the other player moved forward, turned this rate, and shot. And the engine just translated that into everything, and it was the same for everyone. Absolutely. Uh, so what you saw, you know, you're seeing the same timeline uh, that all the other players are seeing. And uh, when we talk about netcode, really, you're, you're actually talking about various uh, timelines uh, based on each client's perspective <clears throat> or even the server's perspective. Uh, and yes, the original vanilla Doom with the, the peer-to-peer lockstep, it maintained perfect sync and there was really only one timeline in the game. So that made it very simple to implement. It made it very reliable and you know satisfying from a player's perspective, but it doesn't scale to the internet. So uh, probably the next evolution of uh, multiplayer gaming for FPSs would be Quake and more importantly, Quake World. Um, I believe this uh, same scheme was also used in Quake 2. It was separated into a client-server architecture uh, where clients could join the game already in progress. Uh, So it brought a a plethora of new features that were essential to internet play that we know today. One of the key features that uh, was developed uh, for Quake World and was not in the original Quake is actually uh, where it your client's allowed to predict where his own position is. So in a, a client-server arrangement, really the server is considered the master uh, as far as the game world is concerned. So the server is the only entity that really has authority to say, uh, Rocket is in this location, this player is in this location. So in the original Doom, uh, I'm sorry, in the original Quake uh, netcode, Uh, a player could move forward or press the forward button rather on their keyboard that would send a packet to the server. The server would process the physics on that and and move that player forward and then reply with uh, the player's new position. And only when that uh, player received that reply from the server was the, uh, the player's view uh, changed uh, to reflect that uh, forward 
button. So there was uh, basically view latency. So the player's own point of view had round-trip latency to the server. Quake World is really where that changed. So in Quake World, the client is allowed to predict where he's going to end up after his uh, series of button presses, but the server still has the authority to say, uh, no, you didn't really end up there. You ended up uh, over here because you hit a a different uh, object in the game that was moving. That uh, client prediction really is kind of the first introduction of a second uh, timeline in the world. So when when you have client prediction, a client predicting his or her position, they're really looking at a timeline that is uh, roughly half of uh, their round-trip ping time ahead of the servers. The infamous um, Quake World Deltas. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Uh, so in, in doing that, you know, you've introduced two different timelines. You have the server's timeline of the world, which is really the authority. And then you have this client's predicted timeline uh, that you know would be a hundred milliseconds ahead of the servers if uh, the client had a two hundred millisecond uh, ping. So that's that's really where things start to go off the rails if you don't add additional ways to mitigate the the potential errors uh, of predicting and, and pretending that you're in a certain position. Then some other uh, improvements were made for Quake 3. Some of those are to uh, essentially send smaller updates of uh, the positions of uh, players, objects, uh, etc. And that's really just a a way to compress the packets. But it it doesn't fundamentally change the structure of uh, that architecture. So so that kind of covers how we uh, do netcode as a, as a whole. I would say one of the other key things to be aware of is uh, with the Quake architecture, uh, the server will send both reliable and unreliable packets uh, for different messages or events in the game. For instance, um, if the map ends and uh, the game should be going to an intermission, the server will send a message to all the clients, and it'll be a reliable message to make sure that they get that message, that uh, this this map's over, we're going to go to intermission, show the scoreboard, etc. cetera. Um, for other things in the game that are more of uh, state updates for game objects, such as a player, uh, a health pack, uh, things like that, the game will send, or the server will send unreliable messages to all the clients. Those unreliable messages are not guaranteed to be received by the client. So in other words, they're sent once. The server doesn't care whether or not the client acknowledged receiving it. It's sent once. Um, right. So you can have like a separate timeline where that medkit wasn't picked up actually on your side, but the server doesn't care if you see it or not. Exactly. So you'll have a visual uh, uh, desynchronization uh, as well because... If, if you had uh, dropped a packet uh, or a packet was lost on its way from the server to uh, your client, uh, indicating that uh, this uh, med pack is no longer there, your client will continue to draw that uh, med pack if 
it didn't get uh, that unreliable message from the server. So that inv- that uh, kind of is the cause of something like a, a ghost monster or a ghost player. Those are just the terms the community will use when there's a uh, a desync and the server removes a particular uh, object, but uh, a client does not receive that message. Yeah, so those those uh, co-op monsters that just stood on your side, on your client, and did nothing, and you could shoot through them, and it did nothing. They basically exactly. just weren't removed. Uh, a few things on this. So in your estimation, would you say that this method of netcode is the most accurate way to um, to have players on the internet playing in a server hosted in a different location when the players are in different locations? Um, I would say the uh, unreliable packet method uh, that kind of evolved out of Quake 1 is is definitely not the, uh, the best way to do this. Uh, it's just what the Doom community has adopted uh, you know, from an early standpoint and has not uh, spent some time to <clears throat> revise uh, that message uh, scheme, that uh, state uh, synchronization scheme. Um, there are other uh, FPSs that have done it a lot better. Uh, one in particular that strikes me is uh, one called Tribes. And instead of sending unreliable messages about states, it will make a guarantee that eventually the correct state will be sent. Um, and and that involves uh, the client needing to acknowledge when he receives a packet from the server. So if uh, let's let's use that medkit example again. If in uh, you know frame one, the server sends a message to the client to remove this medkit, the server will continue to send that message uh, to the client until the client acknowledges it. Uh, the the uh, server may not send that same message every uh, frame of the game. The next time it's time to do an update for that med kit, and that may be every five frames, it may be every 10 frames, the server will eventually uh, send that uh, message again to the client and keep sending that message until the client uh, acknowledges having received that packet. Uh, and that's a much more reliable way to maintain sync. Anyone that's played Doom multiplayer knows that there are a million little corner cases where the game goes out of sync. And and I don't think any ports have gotten it right yet because we're all using, you know, the the older uh, flawed uh, Quake World style messaging. Right. the The advantage of the this Quake World style messaging would be that it generates uh, lesser network traffic. Right. Uh, I would uh, say that's that's probably not uh, necessarily true. The way that the Quake World uh, messaging is. Uh, written it's very naive so it will send a full update every time it let, let's say it uh, will send the position of all of the other players in the game every frame so it's going to send all of that player state for each other player object it uh, it gets to be quite inefficient uh, for instance if a player doesn't move the server will still send an update about it including its position and everything else, but Doom, if if you if you also uh, clue in a possible possibility of high 
packet losses mm-hmm. than the reliable way when the client needs to also reply and the client just doesn't reply, then it leads to to like a lot of repetition. And we oh, had, yeah, yeah. and basically what I'm saying, uh, we also had uh, corner cases like an ideal player who played over a satellite phone from Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing this out there that you have a corner case for everything in Doom. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, if, if, just as a side note, you know, one of Odomex's goals is to maintain vanilla Doom compatibility, with, uh, especially with uh, the LMP recordings. And so for every bug in the original Doom, yeah, there are dozens of these recordings that kind of exploit and showcase that bug. And it, it, you, you could make the slightest change. For instance, I made a change to the, uh, the texture loading system in Odomex. And I broke some of the physics code in the process of hitting a, a very minor corner case on map seven. So Doom is just an exercise in corner cases and how to mitigate them. And you you really do have to be cognizant of every one of those corner cases. You can't just uh, do something that's a, a sensible design because Doom will say, nope, what about this? What mm-hmm. about this? What about that? Yeah, the de- determinism has to be maintained. Yeah, definitely. From a player's perspective, the thing that I used to hear all the time was that we were getting killed, quote-unquote, behind walls. And so I was always led to believe, uh, from talking with you and especially with um, understanding how you've your approach to netcode, um, that it it really is the the way that you've structured it is the most accurate way to to have uh, shots connecting and and you know you're actually getting the most accurate viewing of what's actually happening on both players' screens. So could you talk a little bit about maybe the um, visual aspect of it that players seem to struggle with when they were coming from another port over to Odomex because I think um, what I touched on a little bit before was people were so used to the way that, for instance, Zdaemon ran that when they came to Odomex and the way that you handled the netcode was different and it was difficult for them to get used to, but it didn't mean that the, <laughs> didn't mean that the netcode was wrong. Um, it was just handling you know, their connections differently. Right, just to just to intersect, there was a, a a habit of leading your shots uh, over at the demon back in the day, because like if if you were targeting a, a lagging uh, target, slightly leading it would help you shoot it when the reconciliation on the server side was done, which is one way of doing it. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, really putting the onus on the uh, the players to know which other players uh, are experiencing lag, so they they can compensate that way. Uh, yeah, so I'll give a quick summary, really, uh, of which area of uh, uh, our net code base uh, Bones is talking about. It's often called uh, just simply unlagged by the community. But what it is, is a, uh, a method to compensate for latency with hit scan weapons. 
So if, for instance, you have a player moving across your screen horizontally, just uh, from the left to the right, and you have a, a 200 millisecond latency, without any hit scan uh, latency compensation, you would aim right at the uh, enemy player, click uh, the fire button, and your shots would miss. Uh, because the server is going to receive your message roughly 100 milliseconds after after you click the fire button. And really what you're looking at on your screen is 100 milliseconds old as well because the server sends you, the client, uh, the position of the player. And by the time you get that message from the server, it's uh, 100 milliseconds out of date. And so it ends up where the round trip time of the update that the server sends you of uh, enemy positions ends up being uh, very important in this to latency compensation. So what the, the code does is when the server receives a notification that your client pressed fire, press the fire button, it will look in that packet to see which frame you had last received from the server. And that frame indicates essentially where all of the players are in the world. So if if uh, the server sent frame one to the client and the client presses fire and sends that packet back to the server, indicating I'm pressing fire and the last update I got from you was frame one, the game may have moved on to frame 10 by that point. But the server will take the position of all of the enemy players from frame 10 and move them back to where they were in frame one. And then it will calculate whether or not that client hit anything. And then it will move all of the uh, uh, players back to where they are in frame 10. Uh, so that's how the function works as a whole. Bones uh, brought up a good point, though. That is sometimes you know, visually jarring. So a client may press fire and uh, at the enemy running across their screen and uh, a half a second later, they'll see blood splatter and their enemy die. So that's one jarring point of it. But what uh, players migrating to Odomex were finding is really a corner case uh, because they would feel like when they're battling with another uh, enemy, and they get uh, themselves behind a corner to be cover, uh, they will still die. Uh, and they feel like they were shot through walls. Uh, and it comes down to, in that case, you have three different timelines that uh, you've got to reconcile. You have the server's timeline, which is uh, the authoritative timeline. You have the enemy player's timeline, uh, who is... Uh, you know, predicting his own position, and uh, he may press fire before you, but you don't know that because of the latency. And then you have uh, your own uh, view uh, timeline as well. And so, getting those to gel is uh, it's it's kind of what netcode's all about. It's uh, taking uh, a situation like that and just putting enough uh, smoke and mirrors in front of it to make that palatable. One of the problems that uh, some of the other Doom ports had for the longest time was that they would base their hit scan latency uh, compensation on a client's ping rather than just 
simply basing it on the frame of the last update that client received. And by basing it on the ping, you're really just taking the average round trip latency uh, between that client and that server. But one of the most frustrating parts of uh, writing game netcode is that uh, there's jitter. Jitter is a variance in latency from one one uh, packet to the next. So really on the internet, you never have a consistent uh, ping to a server. It's always going to fluctuate. And those fluctuations really uh, imply that you won't get accurate uh, hit scan compensation if you base it on the ping. What you really need to do is base it on the exact round trip time for that individual packet uh, for that uh, update. Did I uh, cover enough on the uh, getting getting shot behind walls, or do you want to dive into that so. more? Yeah, I think so. One of the one of the interesting uh, like side effects that I might have uh, joined in complaining about was that <laughs> it created kind of like a seeming of imbalance when, in particular. Uh, a low pinging player with uh, with a location really close to the server was playing with someone, let's say in Europe, from some with someone from South America, because obviously uh, I would get reconciled almost to the same uh, timeline as the as the server, mm-hmm. but then uh, I would see, uh, so to speak, bullshit on on screen in my client. And uh, the server would then tell me, oh, oh, well, you th- just thought you were safe behind that wall because the other guy still saw you. <laughs> so it, that was when like, uh, a lot of the players just felt that, uh, you know, even though the technical principle of, of reconciling the netcode might be correct... It just doesn't, uh, you know, reflect uh, the physical world itself. Uh, because all of a sudden, is it really all that reliable that the... Because with a guy that's dropping the uh, dropping packages and everything, uh, he's more of like the less reliable side uh, of, the, of the game. And he all of, all of the sudden we got to uh, situations where it felt like high pinging players well were trampling over people who were they shouldn't be beating. So I'm not saying that it actually uh, meant that the game was giving them advantage, but there was a, a sort of change of, of feel in these games where all of the sudden. People were just getting rattled by what was happening in game. Well, I think what that means is uh, all of a sudden somebody's uh, actually able to hit what he aims at uh, when he has a high ping, and and that's going to definitely uh, you know upset kind of the pecking order uh, of uh, perceived mm-hmm. skill as well. Uh, so that's one issue. But uh, the other issue is if you felt like you got behind a wall um, before you were shot and you die anyway you know you should have got behind the wall earlier i know uh, i know <laughs> but but i it, it, i can see it's it's definitely frustrating you know as a player because you because felt like you were behind you're the wall timing, you're still timing it based on what you see yeah and when your yeah, reality I mean, of timing it is close to the server you expect it to you know uh be 
the way you see it. Yeah, you're you're expecting, you know, when you press fire and you see, you know, a uh, blood splatter from a, another player, you know, a, and it's uh, within 50 milliseconds, you have that perception that uh, the rest of the world right. is at that low latency as well. It was particularly like frustrating because I wouldn't complain about this if I was playing in on an American server. I would expect mm-hmm. there to be some kind of like uh, high uh, latency hijinks. That's okay. But if it happens on a server in Germany, that means like, what the hell, dude? <laughs> Why am I the the guy who's getting you know uh, the raw deal? <laughs> Yeah, and and it's it's not really the raw deal because mm-hmm. exposed, but uh, it's it's visually unsettling, and that is uh, that's what netcode tries to solve in general. And sometimes it's not very good at it. Um, in a lot of uh, other multiplayer um, games with maybe a larger player base. Uh, you know, you're you're not often going to have uh, people playing across seas. You're going to have lower latency just based on the fact that the community is large enough to have games within you know your locale. But Doom Doom's a, a definitely a small community, and so we have to do a lot of things to make it accessible to the largest number of players at once. And some of those are uh, you know not capping let's say the hit scan uh, latency comp- compensation. Uh, we've also, experimented with, uh, you know, only doing the compensation up to a certain uh, amount of latency, let's say a hundred milliseconds or something like that. And that's something we could do, but uh, overall, I don't think the doom community is, is large enough uh, to have players uh, all play within a hundred milliseconds of latency. Oh, definitely not. Also, I would like to say that Doom actually is probably one of the hardest games to get this right, because unlike modern games, uh, Doom actually moves fast. Uh, oh, yes. all, those, all those games that are played nowadays, players are sluggish. Even, even like Quake is blazing fast compared to, to later games. So reconciling a, a slower moving target is not as hard. Uh, meanwhile, we're reconciling really, really fast-moving targets at uh, SR50 speeds uh, and everything with hitscan attacks. Those are like the worst possible scenarios. <laughs> well, yeah, and particularly, uh, I think I read some uh, at SR50. Uh, you're essentially uh, running at 40 miles an hour. <laughs> Um, and then you've got uh, your opponent coming towards you at 40 miles an hour as well. So that's essentially 80 miles an hour uh, in terms of uh, how fast you two are closing in on each other. So, yeah, it is an incredibly fast. And uh, when you throw in uh, high latency players, it's an absolute nightmare. And you're going to get some visual anomalies uh, for sure. My goal was just to make sure that uh, people could have accuracy uh, with uh, what what they're doing when they're firing accuracy and visual anomalies they they don't always uh, go hand in hand yeah and to to add to that discussion um well first of all you know you have two players um coming at each other at 40 miles per hour uh the big question really is is what time did the train leave the station and when is it going to get into chicago <laughs> and what did it, did the, anyway um 
I think, uh, you know, in the days of old, especially in the IDL days, you know, you, it was very rare to have European players because the IDL was in its infinite wisdom strictly played on American servers. Um, it was very rare to have European players actually win. And so I think that plays a big part into it as well, is that um, when people started playing Odomex and, uh, you know, they started to see that, oh, wow, um, it's, it's a little bit more fair for everyone. So you could see, you know, European players kind of uh, getting more even, um, uh, a more even playground to play on. And they were able to compete at a much higher level. And, you know, I think the, the skill variance um, wasn't really impacted by the the net code or, you know, their location. So I think that was another part of the, the jarring experience for them. Right, yeah. Like back in the day, there was uh, you would try playing uh, on another continent. It wouldn't go too well. <laughs> and you, you would do go, okay but yeah yeah but you you wouldn't really compete you would go back and you would Europeans play. were always runners you know because they couldn't defend right and, all this and crap. Yeah. you could always just go back on your continent to your community because there was a stronger like uh there was much more like a bigger community back in the day there was a lot of a lot more Europeans or a lot more Americans to to constitute their own separate communities. So if you wanted to really like compare skills, you would do it with your own in your own uh, backyard, so to speak. And these these uh, like playing with Americans in America that was just for fun. But lately, like we the community is diminished. Let's be honest; it's not as big as it used to be. So now we're just one global community we have to do with what we have so it becomes much more important that actually it is possible to at least roughly compare skills over long distance yeah and so flash forward to or flash forward fast forward to today well in 2013 QuakeCon Mm -hmm. ran the dual tournament on odmx as well as 2019 i mean that must make you feel Really, I I think I don't think that would have happened without all of this work that you've done. Um, and I found it to be obviously I I did not attend QuakeCon in 2013, but having been there last year, I know a lot of work went into making sure that every you know new releases, a lot of work went into making sure that it was playable um, to the level that you know the tournament organizers felt comfortable with. Um, so how does that? How does uh, having to make sure that something on a large scale like QuakeCon, like how does that affect your, uh, I don't want to say nerves, but I mean, how does that, there are, there are many aspects to it. Like, you know, you must be, number one, you must be proud of yourself, I would hope. Uh, but, you know, how does that make you feel? Like, how does it there's, stress there's you a out lot of, or what? There's a lot of potential for embarrassment well, on a global sure. scale. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely a sort of a thing where uh, you know you're breathing into a brown bag to uh, stop yourself from hyperventilating. Uh, you know, when you're on a, a center stage like that, or at least your uh, your code is. the The idea is just trust in the the process of going through QA and having a good solid release. Uh, you don't want to be writing code at the last minute uh, to bang out a new release. You you want to have it uh, buttoned up. You know, three weeks in advance, and then just uh, play test the shit out of it. 
but yeah, it was it was very much a, a feather in the cap uh, back in uh, you know uh, 2012 uh, or I guess 13 um, to be part of the 20th anniversary for uh, QuakeCon. Uh, it's yeah, it was kind of interesting. I had some uh, great discussions with uh, Sponge around that time, uh, who was uh, running the show then. Um, and the general impression I got was, uh, and some questions I've gotten from the community was, uh, why Otomex? You know, it wasn't uh, the most popular port even in uh, 2013. Um, what it came down to was uh, that Otomex was, uh, you know, stable uh, and kind of it's, yeah, the, the vanilla uh, compatibility kind of uh, plays into that. Uh, it feels like Doom, perhaps a lot more than maybe Sandronum does uh, these days. You know, Otomex is known for being kind of true to Doom, but adding on enough uh, niceties. So it's more like how you nostalgically remember Doom, not necessarily is it uh, the 320 by 200 pixel uh, Doom that uh, really, you know, we used to have. So I think that was uh, kind of one of the driving factors is uh, if you're you're going to put a classic 20th anniversary Doom tournament, um, you know, and you're you're not going to try to do chocolate Doom, um, Otomex was uh, probably the the next best alternative. Right. Yeah. And this year, actually, the last year, uh, the tournament was repeated, and this time they took a full advantage of of the uh advantages of modern structures so we had uh, a full deathmatch tournament and a tdm tournament that's something you can't have in in chocolate doom at all yeah yeah it's a lot nicer when uh you know you don't just have to say okay uh the green and red are on one team uh, <laughs> it's it's a lot nicer when you can have something structured and you have uh the ability to yeah, have a some, nice custom scoreboard and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone doesn't have to like uh, quick add on the fly. Yeah, these guys are already done. They they reached one hundred frags and it. <laughs> yeah. So how do you feel about the Otomex community today? Because uh, moving the IDL over to Otomex that eventually led to the creation of the WDL, the World Doom League, and that ran for several seasons as well. Currently on hi- hiatus right now, but I think. Um, <clears throat> that league has had a really special opportunity and it's afforded a lot of players the opportunity to play Odomex. And there are plenty of people still that are a part of the community. I know that something something people give a lot of credence to that I never understood is that, you know, oh, I, I open up an Odomex launcher and there's nobody in a server. Well, okay, I don't <clears throat> I don't think that really means anything other than you might have to go online and highlight somebody to play. But also, in my experience, if you just join a server, you know, maybe someone from your, your old work crew will join or, you know, just random people will join. They're just kind of waiting for someone to show up. But I think the community has kind of, uh, it's stuck together. You know, I think there are there are a long time Otomex supporters still hanging around, still trying to, to make things, to help improve things, to make things better. Uh, you've got people like uh, people like Rude, who created a great stats program um, website for certain servers, and then also very recently you've had these big stress stress tests of like 200, 100, 200, 250 people, um, which kind of appeared out of nowhere. And oh, I think that 
they were actually yeah the decino organized yeah. things yeah 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 Th- those are just big meme events but yeah <laughs> i think a lot of good things have happened out of that i mean you, you've got sure you've got some people contributing code and and trying to help fix things um but i think it yeah. <clears throat> it was important to have just, that backbone of the community there too just if if someone doesn't know decino is a, a youtube presence i wouldn't i don't know if if you could tell he's an influencer he's an influencer in a in a doom sense uh because like i don't think anyone who just creates doom content has this much following on youtube he's probably the largest person on youtube regarding doom if you don't count like cv or someone who, who does all of the old games well, he paid me to join the server, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, the big Decino money! Oh, I see, I see. All that, all that money in Doom, yeah. Uh huh. I wasn't offered. I see. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Anyway, huh. <laughs> uh, he's been like, yeah, growing his channel and everything, and he's kind of a purist, so it makes sense for him to do an online stress test in Odemax. Yeah, that definitely came out of nowhere. Um, I would say the Odemex community is is just really laid back. Uh, I think in general, there were uh, some people that uh, were playing on Odemex that didn't really want to be there uh, back in the days when the IDL switched over uh, from ZDemon to uh, Odemex. Um, but, you know, it, th- those players that weren't happy there have uh, gone on... Uh, uh, to live a life of fulfillment uh, somewhere else. And so the people that are around Odemax really, really just like the port. They like the community um, and they're there to help. And that's really the most important thing is that if somebody's there and they're happy uh, to be involved in it and they're willing to help, yeah, that's that's what gets us uh, across the finish line, I think. Um, but yeah, the, the Decino, uh, stream, I think is important in general because a lot of, uh, the people that were joining, uh, the Odemex discord were, you know, the speed runners or the single, uh, single player, uh, mappers, uh, things like that. People that don't normally get into the doom multiplayer community. So it's important, not just for Odemex, but for doom multiplayer as a whole to get some of those people interested in in multiplayer because that's the lifeblood uh, of doom going forward is to get you know new players no matter what uh, doesn't matter where they come from um if it takes a large uh stress test streaming event to pull in some new players that's fantastic right yeah not fishing in the same pool but kind of like expanding uh to new uh, new crowds which is what we actually did try to do when we switched IDL over from from the demon, because we were really uh, grinding on the same same fields uh, every every season, and it just led to uh, less and less of the same elitist people just you know being holed up in their in their hole of of yeah, I'm used to this, nothing should change, and that just leads to the to, to the death of, of, of community. Yeah, stagnation is uh, very much uh, kind of a nail in the coffin for Doom. Yeah, once once it's stagnant, its days are numbered. Um, and, and that's really interesting to see so much longevity with Doom. And it's absolutely because of, uh, you know, continued mapping and uh, new game modes. 
New game modes. Okay. So <laughs> for the last <laughs> five or six years, perhaps longer, uh, I've taken breaks in between, but I'm really hoping that Odomex could, and I've seen some progress on this, um, but Team Last Man Standing and Survival. Survival especially, I think survive, having Survival added to Odomex would, would create, because if you look at like Thursday Night Survival on Z-Damon, um, Xandronum had one for a while. Even the U.S. Quake community does their little survival event. I don't mean to say little, but you know they do their survival event, and it's quite popular. So, do you think that there's a there's a possibility of Odomex adding some new game modes uh, to attract new players anytime in the near future? I, I definitely uh, have seen some code uh, heading in that direction. Um, both uh, uh, James Dunn and uh, Chow have kind of been collaborating on something like that. So hopefully uh, we'll see it, you know, get into one of our uh, major releases uh, in the future. Um, it's probably not something for a, uh, a minor or a point release. Uh, but yeah, it, it's kind of uh, the ball's in their court for that. And uh, obviously they, they are uh, energetic and uh, really have been doing a lot for the port lately. So I'm glad to see whatever they come up with on that. Uh, ultimately my goal, and I'm not sure if I've got the, uh, the time for it would be to take, uh, take the doom, uh, game logic and write that in Python, uh, so that we have a fully scripted game engine. Uh, and really the goal behind that would be that, uh, you could have, uh, uh, a lot more power than you would with some of the other scripting technologies, let's call them like decorate, uh, et cetera. And my goal with that would be to kind of be able to quickly make a disposable game mode so that we can just get some some new content uh, here. Uh, I don't want game modes where you have to modify the Odomex engine. I'd rather have it be something scriptable um, and have the, uh, the client server uh, sync uh, just kind of happen automatically. So that's and definitely not uh, a near future thing, but that's kind of our long-term uh, vision. Like, uh, you know, you know of ZScript, right? But uh, I, I've uh, heard of it, but uh, I did take a, a nice long Doom community hiatus while it was gaining some traction. I mean, uh, that's what uh, is supposed to supersede uh, the decorate. Mm-hmm. And ACS uh, altogether in in Zadoom, it's actually fully implemented now. It's poorly documented, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure how viable it would be to implement that without implementing all of cheesy Doom. That's that might be a big problem. That's uh, a very real issue for us when we're looking at features that uh, 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 Zdoom uh, has that we may want in Odomex, it's the number of dependencies you have to bring in in terms of code. Uh, So I end up writing a lot of things from scratch, and that's unfortunate because that's not the way to do it in the real world. But there's there's just a lot of baggage. If you pull in one small feature like uh, Decorate, well, not small, but uh, you pull in Decorate from uh, ZDoom and all of a sudden you are modifying almost every file in the engine. In terms of the community, because um, there were, there was, I should say, a weekly event for a while run by a group of people, Odomex Nitro. Um, it hasn't been run in a while now, but 
Otomex is right now the only port that really doesn't have kind of that weekly event. Um, is there anything that the players can do to get themselves involved or anything that maybe you're looking for that would help the development of Otomex along that players could do without, you know, a lot of, um, like me, a lot of technical knowledge on, you know, how Doom works? Is there anything that they can do to get themselves involved to help you out? That's a, a great question. Kind of one of those things that, uh, yeah, you, you always have an idea after the conversation ends, but, uh, really it would be about organizing events, um, trying to introduce new players, uh, to doom in general, helping take a new player and maybe mentoring them a little bit, uh, play a couple of, uh, you know, uh, duels with them or whatnot and kind of help build their skills because, I think new players in general get get really frustrated playing against somebody that's been playing Doom for 20 years. And, you know, they're at an elite level and the new player just gets crushed and rage quits. So I think uh, finding a way to help new players kind of thrive would be a, a really important thing to do for the, the community in general and uh, Otomek specifically. You know, new, new players... Are, are how the ports kind of kept alive. I was a, a new player. Um, you know, I just happened to wander in and um, start playing. And because the, the community was good enough uh, to me, I stuck around. But I, I could very easily have uh, decided, uh, no, these guys are dicks. Uh, I'm going to go uh, play Minecraft now. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's not just about, you know, dressing up nicely ringing some doors, do you have some time to play some Automax duels? But you you need to have some other new people around, which is a big problem in pretty much the entire multiplayer yeah. community, I would say. Like you need to have other noobs around <laughs> to kind of like help you out, not feel like the the last kid in the class. Exactly. You get like uh with a uh... With me getting into Doom in my uh, later part of life, it was about I had a, a group of uh, six other noobs to play with, you know, and we eventually got better on our own. And then we opened the doors and, you know, played uh, with the rest of the community. But if if any of us had just uh, wandered into the community from day one, we would have gotten crushed and it uh, would have been a lot more frustrating. So what about bots? Does Otomax have bots right now? It does not. Uh, we're waiting on a ghostly death uh, to implement them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think they go by uh, relentless rodent and they quit completely. Actually, so I wouldn't wait too long on that. <laughs> well, I guess <laughs> you could name all the bots ghostly death if you wanted to, but I think uh, that's a good a good way. When when I open up, for example, if I open up like the Zdemon launcher. You know, it'll say, oh, it's like 30 bots are playing right now. And there'll just be one person in there playing against four bots. And I don't know anything about this person, but, you know, they could be a new player and they're just throwing in some bots into the server and they're just trying to play around to get used to things. Do you see that as maybe a good step forward to get people, uh, to get those new players kind of, you know, get them started in playing is to maybe have some bots implemented that you can throw into a server? Maybe... I don't know if there's some way to to make it different than you know, kind of those mindless ones that we see. Uh, maybe there's some special 
cool, innovative way to to implement them. But I feel like that's a good that would be a good step forward as well. Oh, absolutely! I, I think that's a fantastic idea. Uh, it gets uh, new players skilled up, uh, and to some extent, it uh, kind of helps the issue of uh, th- that chicken and which came first, the chicken or the egg problem of, okay, I open up the server launcher and all the servers are empty. You know, I'm not going to wait around for somebody to start a game. Instead, if you got uh, a newbie in there with some bots, uh, well, you can do some killing. Uh, You know, there's somebody uh, on that server uh, already. So you just join and uh, all of a sudden you have a game. You know, once you have uh, two players in a server, in Odomex real quick, you have five, then you, you get 10. Um, but getting those two players in the server has been our hard spot. Yeah, and I think I think the stress test has helped. I, I believe I read somewhere that Ralph has said for about two months there were people playing Odomex 24-7, which I find amazing only because that had never happened before. So I, you know, and that could also make the stress test better <laughs> or, you know, make them more interesting if we were able to throw some bots in there. So yeah, I mean, I, I just little ideas like that. You know, you don't really think about them uh, when you're doing something as grandiose as slopes or you know running a league or something. But I think all these little things. You know, I'm I'm glad to see that Odomex is kind of on its way to uh, implementing you know some things that are going to make uh, the community easier uh, to uh, traverse through and easier for new players to come and figure their stuff out because I think that's we talk about this a lot uh, on this podcast, but I think that's a big problem that we've had for the last couple of years is just uh, it's not easy for people to come in and figure stuff out, especially when there are so many negative attitudes hanging around. And, you know, you're right when you mentioned that, you know, the Onimex community is really laid back. I think that's not the norm that we're used to. Um, and I think that helps. I think that helps bring, you know, when the thing that I find interesting is when you have like a, a fervent Odomex supporter, you know, they're not going anywhere. They're, they're going to stick around and they're going to be around for years and, you know, they're going to help you any way you can. And I think that that points to the leadership of you, Ralphus, Hex, um, all of these people. Um, so it, it, it'll be cool to see the direction that, that Odomex continues to head in. So is there anything moving forward with Odomex? Like what, what are your, your larger scale goals? And uh, do you have anything like anything maybe that you're, that you're working on that you think is going to be kind of uh, saved for a bigger release instead of a point release? Um, You know, what do you have in store and what do you, what would you like to work on? Oh, well, that's one of my favorite questions, actually. Uh, so I, I keep uh, kind of a roadmap of things I want to work on. Uh, we have a, a very loose uh, kind of administration for our development team. In other words, work on what you want. Um, so for me, my long-term goals, uh, right now I'm almost done with a branch uh, for abstracting how Odomex loads resource files. So that would be WAD files. Um, it's now also including uh, zipped WAD files and PK3 files uh, and dehack patches. So uh, oh, that's going to introduce a, a unified texture system. So you can use wall and uh, uh, floor ceiling textures interchangeably. 
mm-hmm. it involves uh you know some uh render uh rewrites in in a little uh, aspect to no longer use um doom's internal format for storing graphics the uh the patch format um now we simply use a square uh, or not square rectangle uh image and we use uh, a color to indicate uh color zero to indicate uh, transparency so uh that really simplified our render code as well in a lot of places uh so that's that's something i'm working on right now that's probably going to be in our dot nine release I don't like to break network protocol on a point release. Uh, unfortunately, just uh, the way Doom is, having a unified uh, resource ID system uh, so that each resource in WAD files has a, a unique global ID, it actually does break our network protocol a little bit. That's <laughs> what things like, uh, you know, when you hit a switch and that changes a floor texture. Uh, so... That's going to be a, a major release. Um, and then looking out from there, a few items on my list is I'd probably like to get uh, the UDMF uh, map compatibility. Uh, nice. That's, that I think that offers a lot of uh, nice capabilities and kind of dovetails into you know doing some advanced scripting. Um, I, I think uh, the normal uh, map format obviously is very limited for more advanced scripting. And uh, so that's a precursor really to getting to do some cool stuff. Then other items on my list is I'm probably due to uh, abstract our renderer as well. That would leave me the opportunity to uh, one, clean up the existing software renderer code Two, uh, I could probably add a, uh, OpenGL-based renderer pretty easily once we have our renderer code abstracted nicely. Um, and then I could add on additional renderer features like uh, portals or 3D floors or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of uh, <laughs> how do I prioritize some of those things. Um, uh, and then the two other big ones. Oh, go ahead. I was about to ask, like, what about uh, gameplay stuff, like a full boom feature support? Is that... Uh, yeah. Boom? That, that is definitely on our roadmap as well. Um, I may or may not be the person to implement that, though. Uh, You're more like of Chow. the technical guy. <laughs> well, I mean, Chow might be, uh, he's shown some interest in it, so that may be something he takes up. But that would be another thing I'd like to see in our .9 release is, uh, you know, at least uh, play Boom Edit uh, correctly. Well, that would be probably enough. Yeah, I think uh, in in general, um, you know, with the rise of uh, co-op in the community and a lot of uh, boom-based uh, maps for co-op, uh, making sure that we have full uh, boom compatibility is definitely going to be a priority for us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the standard of mapping has definitely moved from vanilla uh, to boom, at least, which is which is like probably where Doom World is. Then there's, of course, the, all the Zedu maps that are maybe outside of the scope what's possible for Odomax. But yeah, I, I would say that having both a full boom support and survival would be incredibly, incredibly popular for uh, an influx of new players. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I, I'm probably going to uh, pressure Chow and put him in the hot seat on that one then. 
okay, so the the two other items on my list are really the probably the most important ones. That would be uh, the scripting that I've talked about uh, before, and then networking. And I kind of look at those as uh, going hand in hand. Um, in my ideal vision of how our network code should work, I think each object in the game world should know how to efficiently send itself. What our current network code has is a series of statements in some of the physics functions and uh, various other places that will compose a message and send it out to a client. You know, we, we really shouldn't be mixing our physics code and the code that sends network messages uh, across it. They, they shouldn't be in the same place. So one of my goals is if uh, we move to a scripting uh, uh, system, take a more abstract way of uh, sending the state of various objects in the game world. I, I think we can do that a lot more comprehensively in a scripting language instead of uh, you know, having our network messages sprinkled throughout our entire code base, which looking at uh, other ports, that seems to be par for the course, but it's pretty gross from a, a developer point of view. Um, but for networking, I'd like to be implementing uh, the same network architecture as uh, the game Tribes. Uh, there's some really good white papers for it. Uh, a few other... Uh, you know, mainstream games have uh, given presentations at the Game Developer Conference illustrating how they used that uh, network architecture uh, in in their uh, more modern ones. One that comes to mind for me is uh, Halo. Uh, ended up uh, using that uh, for their their client-server uh, game sync, and it ended up, uh, you know, being much more effective for them. So that's the direction I want to head in for networking, for sure. And Tribe, Tribes was famously a, a very fast game, so it uh, shouldn't be uh, clashing with what we we're talking about earlier. How how Doom is uh, right, a right. Fast, uh, fast game. The yeah, the the speed is uh, very very crucial. Uh, one of the things that uh, speaks well is that uh, Tribes really supports a notion of very small packets. Uh, the server should spend, send uh, you know 600 byte packets to the uh, client uh, once a frame, instead of uh, more like what we do, which is uh, potentially multiple uh, packets of uh, you know thousands and thousands of bytes to the clients. We need to develop a network message uh, prioritization system, and by that I mean if you have a, a set of enemies that are in front of you on your map. The server should be sending you updates very, very, very frequently about the enemies that are right in front of you. But enemies that are, you know, 3,000 units away on the map, maybe the server can get away with sending you an update every five uh, frames for that. Right, so because the just, relative position doesn't change that much. Exactly. And and uh, being off by a few pixels here or there uh, when that enemy is rendered on your screen is a lot less crucial. So adding some intelligence into our networking like that uh, it would be part of this uh, goal here. Of course, you will get someone completely break it by uh, introducing some ridiculous corner cases, like some sort of a fucking ghost enemy that just warps around the entire map. Oh, of course. <laughs> somebody's, gonna, somebody's going to break something, and I'm not going to fix it, and it's going to be great. <laughs> 
one thing that I've seen so many people talking about is the um, True Color software renderer. And, uh, you know, for let's just start by, would you be able to explain that and why that's such an important feature? Sure. Uh, so I want to say 2013 or 2014, we got a patch handed to us by uh, James Dunn, who came out of absolutely nowhere as far as uh, we could tell. And and this patch was just uh, kind of this proof of concept of really taking the 8-bit or palletized uh, Doom engine and allowing it to be rendered in uh, true color, 32-bit color. The code itself, uh, what it does is it uh, does not use the regular Doom color map scheme. So the Doom color map scheme is... Uh, a set of palette translation tables. And as the renderer uh, will render the scene, uh, a long hallway, let's say, will get progressively darker uh, as it gets further and further away from the camera. That's accomplished in the Doom renderer by using color maps. So if, uh, you know, let's say, for instance, you have a uh, all-white wall texture, so as uh, the renderer is rendering this all-white texture further and further away from the viewer, every so often it will look for the next appropriate uh, color mapping table to use based on the distance away. And that color mapping table is designed to take that white color and make it progressively darker. So mm-hmm. it, it's just a, a way to very quickly render uh, that, that light diminishing effect. Now that's why, in, that's why in Doom the the uh, color progressions are famously not well optimized for, and red just descends into this brown sludge. Brown sludge, exactly. <laughs> yes, and the problem is that uh, this color remapping has to be done with the constraints of Doom's palette in eight bit color mode, and so what it's doing is simply uh, uh, like Dew was saying taking red, and as the red uh, is further and further away from uh, you know, the camera, it, it converts it to a darker color, which, given the Doom palette, starts to look gross. Uh, so what James did was he created a set of 32-bit color maps on the fly for. So uh, when uh, Odomex starts up, it calculates its own color maps for 32-bit color mode. In doing that, it's not constrained by the Doom palette at all. Uh, So it instead uses uh, the original algorithm that Carmack used to generate those color maps, but it doesn't try to fit into that Doom palette. It just uh, uses a natural darker shade. So your reds all of a sudden, uh, when they're far away, are not brown sludge. You know, they're just a nice dark red. Uh, and the effect maybe isn't noticeable at first, but uh, if you ever bind a button on your keyboard to toggle between 32 and 8-bit color mode, you know, it, it's definitely something that you'll notice. Um, but when we say that, you know, we want to present Odomex the way people kind of nostalgically remember Doom, that 32-bit mode, it, it just fits into Doom so well that uh, you you probably aren't going to necessarily notice it, like I said. It's just going to feel like Doom. Yeah, well, I, I can think, definitely yeah. say that uh, 
like yeah the in current day community there are palette artists basically who who spend a lot of time just just fine tuning uh the 8 bit palette for whatever performance they can squeeze out of it but yeah this this is basically yeah the the way to uh introduce this to to the wider audience because they won't care that uh something looks gorgeous with those limitations on chocolate doom that's not the the goal with Odomex, right exactly we we want it to feel like doom as much as possible or we want to be able to provide the option to be compatible with vanilla doom but really we want to continue adding things that make it more refined and a better experience for the player at the same time well it is significant because like do said so many people put time into the detailing probably some of them even more so than the layout so to be able to display that you know the way that it's intended is uh is huge i think right and the the ogl ports oftentimes just steamroll uh whatever the maps is supposed to look like with something that is just, you know, pre-processed through a lot of their own approximations of the software renderer. And it's just, it just looks off. Yeah. It doesn't have that same nostalgic feel. Um, now you can take something like GZ doom and, uh, you know, turn off uh, various filtering and get it looking pretty close to software. Uh, and that's something we may look at in the future as well, but doesn't always have that same feel. But would you would you like when you're talking about using hardware uh, rendering? Uh, do you even think that at this point, when you're still doing software only, is OpenGL even the way forward? Wouldn't it be better just to say, "Oh, screw this! OpenGL is not going to be around for much longer." At least not for uh, like our perception of time, because Doom is seemingly timeless, and it will most certainly uh, you know outlive OpenGL. So why not go with Vulkan? Oh, that's uh, that's certainly an option too. Uh, from my point of view, really the key is to abstract the renderer so that uh, you know you're able to have have the geometry. Uh, in such a format that you can send it to, uh, it doesn't really matter which backend you send it to, in other words, um, you know, be it OpenGL, be it Vulkan, uh, you just want to be able to have a, a bit of code that can set up the uh, scene that's generic, and then uh, then you actually take care of rendering it to, you know, whichever backend system. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, currently uh, we do use an OpenGL backend just to render uh, to the video card. Uh, in other words, uh, with SCL2, we render to a texture. Then that texture is uploaded uh, to OpenGL and just rendered to the screen. But that's a lot faster than uh, writing directly to video memory. Uh, so, you know, that's, that resulted in uh, probably tripling our frame rate when we added that. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here. I I should say, I think the floor is yours now. I don't know if there's anything that you wanted to mention that we didn't cover. Um, I guess I'm mostly interested in how successful you think, how, how successful you think Otomex 
can be and um you know anything that we that we really didn't cover that might be important to mention to someone listening that has never played Odemex or um someone that may have tried it once and kind of struggled to find their footing and wants to try again is there you know i i know that's a really open ended uh discussion but you know i i, I think you are lot in a softball yeah so i i think you're more well well versed in this subject than i so i wanted to leave the floor to you sure i think really probably uh the most important thing is uh don't be afraid to ask for help if you're new to the game uh yeah we've got a great community we've got uh, guys that make a giant effort like Hex to welcome new players, uh, help them get their game started. You know, if you just want to launch an Odomex server for you and your buddies to play in private, that's perfectly fine. Uh, you know, just uh, come on to our Discord. We'll help you get it set up. Um, and then, you know, when when you're ready to uh, branch out into the rest of the community, you know, uh, get some games started. Uh, really, it's just uh, don't try to be isolated uh, or try to figure it out on your own and get frustrated and leave. Just ask for help. We've got very welcoming people. So basically don't do what you did at the <laughs> beginning. So I'm, I'm one of those guys that wants to figure out everything on my own. And that's, that's kind of how I got so familiar with the Odomex code was solving a couple of bugs. And in solving those bugs, I just trekked throughout our entire code base and got familiar with uh, most of the aspects. So I'm habitually hard-headed like that, but usually it ends up uh, in my favor, uh, where I learn more through the process of struggling. Yeah, but, but yeah, don't don't be like Sean. But if if you if you don't want to study the entire code base of Odomex, be sure to ask around the Discord, and they will happily answer you for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's our responsibility as old people to <laughs> make sure that the the new players and the the speak young speak for kids, yourself. Uh, I speak for well. Okay, I'm, I, I'm I, I'll throw myself you. under the bus. I'm old. <laughs> I'm approaching it, um, but you know, I think it's our responsibility to 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 help them not make the mistakes that we made, or to make to make things to make the experience easier for them than it was for us. And that's what I see when I look at the Odomex discord and from you and you mentioned the whole team. I mean, that's, that's kind of been your MO for years is, you know, how can we make the player experience better? And really, like you said about hex welcoming them with open arms and saying, Hey, you know, any problems that you have, just let us know. We'll spend, an hour, two hours, three hours trying to help you. Um, and that's not always the, the hand on hands on help that you would receive in other places. So I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, am here because I have a great team to work with. If, if I was uh, working on another port that did not have uh, you know, the same caliber of uh, people, you know, I would not have stuck around. I would like to thank you for joining us. I, I really can't remember the last time I had such a an interesting and informative conversation. I think uh I think you are a a true gem. And of course, if you're interested in Odomex, you can find them odomex.net. They also have a uh link to their Discord server, which I think is where you'll be able to find 
the majority of the information and players that that can help you out or if you want to become a part of the community that's the perfect place to go so thank you again dr sean uh i hope that in the future we can have you back because i think there's a lot of unfinished business unfinished things that we didn't get to talk about but uh it was really awesome to have you here thank you so much oh it's great to catch up with both of you Hey, Doom is Deadites. It's your friendly neighborhood producer, The Motherload, with a couple of plugs before we get out of here. Just want to point your attention to the fact that Kingdoms Take the Crown Doom 2 Dual Cup will be hosted starting February 15th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time Zone, and that will continue until the final bracket on March 14th. $1,500 cash prize. Go to doomfederation.com for more info. 